0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Brother Cousins podcast, episode 57. Today, we continue our gospel theme for November 2022, talking about this theme that we've really wanted to jump into. We've been champing at the bits, holding each other back to talk to you about what we're going to discuss today, which is the gospel, the remaking of humanity. So these are some... Concepts that we are really looking forward to, and hopefully we can kind of pull open. So to recap, in week one, we talked about how the gospel is three facts. It's the three truths of the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we talked about why that's really good news for all of us. In the last episode, 56, we talked about how the gospel is a message that's intended from the heart of God before time began. That would be a message to all ages. And through the Old Testament scriptures, it's been hidden in plain sight for a couple of thousand years while God's people awaited the redemption. And we see it fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ and how blessed we are to be recipients of that amazing revelation in the New Testament church. And today, we're going to talk about the impact that these things have on the life of those who call Jesus Lord, and those of us who are striving to live in the church in a way that honors Christ. So, those are some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Now, Jared, Jeffrey, and I have been talking about some of these ideas really for a long time, uh, and Jeffrey and Jared, I kind of, I kind of punted to Jared last time in the beginning for a little bit more background on why this struck a chord. And so Jared, I didn't, I didn't ask you if I could do this, but I'm going to do it again, but give, give us a little bit of insight as to some of the things that have been going on in your study and in your life that prompted you to dig in on some of these things over the last couple of years.
1: That, and I can throw back to some of the stuff I kind of said last week with the opportunity to read a little more that was part of it mm-hmm. the opportunity to or, or maybe just the decision to really take a step back and do some root cause analysis on okay a bunch of stuff and then with that root cause analysis you know I've always been a person that asks questions and, and I have Maybe different questions than other people even think to ask. Um, I know some people get frustrated with me because of the questions that I think to ask that they've never been posed or thought to ask themselves, because that can put you in a tough spot. You know, if you've mm-hmm. never thought of a question, then you don't know how to answer it. And or sometimes so, people
0: are like, why are you asking me that question? Or what's, I get what's that going a lot. on?
1: Um, and, and I will grant, you know, being raised in small town America, cowboy mentality, John Wayne movies and country music that eventually morphed into rock music. <laughs> um, you know, there definitely some rebellion there, young man rebellion and, and pride of heart and so forth. It would surprise no
0: one with. who can see a picture of you that you enjoy nickelback. <laughs>
1: Many years ago, (laughs) Um, you know, and I have been able to corral some of that curiosity and put it to use, hopefully to push myself in my understanding about God and my understanding about Christianity (laughs) and just overall what he wants from humanity Yeah, And specifically what he wants from his people. And that took on the form of what does he want from me? And as I began to really look at scripture, I realized it was really better phrased as what does he want from his church? Right.
0: Because you can't say, you know, Brother Craig Hayes has a sermon he's given and it's basically that Christianity is a team sport. Like you can't do it alone. And you're right, Jared, you can't ask the question of what does God want me to do without asking the broader question is what is his will for his people as a whole, as a body working together?
1: And so that's kind of what put me on Ephesians from the get go. There's a lot of places in Ephesians where it shows us how we're meant to be collectively. And a lot of that stuff gets put on us as individuals. But I think it it is served better. It's maybe a better exegesis of those scriptures to look at them in light of the collective of the body of Christ. And this idea of God remaking humanity is actually very clearly borne out amongst the collective Mm -hmm. in both Ephesians and Colossians.
2: Yeah,
0: and, Um, oh, sorry,
1: go ahead. I was just going to say, so Ephesians 4, and actually the ESV has the heading, the new life, and 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how we're a new creature, and and there's just lots of language in the New Testament like that, and so it pushed me to say, what, what does it mean I'm a new creature? What does that look like? what is it supposed to look like? And approach it from practicality, you know, what does this practically look like? And then try and really step back and go, what does God really want from his people in this aspect?
0: Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate the way that you that you put that. And I think it's a good time to reintroduce the concept that we have talked about many times, which is the already not yet. You know, we realize that God's God's dominion, again, going back to our dominion series we did, God's dominion on earth. Is primarily demonstrated through his subjects in the church that you get a body of people that are dedicated to being submissive to God and his rulership is real in their lives and then you get people acting in a new way to be human that hopefully is different than people without god and without consciousness toward him would behave so the church even though we don't we we have life in christ we are transformed in christ we're not perfect at it yet and so it's it's again it's an already it's an already but not yet dichotomy here again in, in the
1: church You know, Christopher, that brings us back to something we've talked about in a previous episode with 1 John 3,
2: in that John
1: says we will be revealed. Okay. What what we shall be will be revealed, but John doesn't just stop at that. He doesn't say we're just waiting to be revealed one day. John has another idea. That goes with that in that we have this hope and so we purify ourselves as he is pure.
0: Right. So for those scoring at home, Jared's reading first John three, one through three, we don't know what we're gonna be like. But we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him. We'll see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Yeah, I love that passage. Um, Clint Goodman uh, actually introduced me to that passage in this concept for the first time many years ago. And it has really stuck with me.
1: So as we think about this and, and we have hope to come,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but that hope is born with expectation okay we are god's children now and so we we have this good news of christ we are living in the age of the revelation of his gospel and so john captures that he's wanting to encourage the church with that but he says we must be pure as he is pure and so as we look at these things and and I've touched on Ephesians and we've, we've talked a little bit about this here in John, but I want to go where we have a contrast in God's word between what we see in humanity day in and day out. Even those that are, let's just say the run of the mill everyday people, you know, they're they're just folks, right? Philippians three gives us a juxtaposition of just folks and
2: i'm gonna break this up and not necessarily read it in order
1: paul talks about that there are those and he actually says he warns in verse 18 for many of whom i have often told you now and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of christ their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And let's just pause right there mm-hmm. and unpack a little bit of what Paul has said. These are enemies of the cross of Christ.
2: And what's, what's the egregious crime
1: they're convicted of?
0: Well, I mean, a lot of times if we think, Like who is an enemy of the cross? We would think like first century Roman emperors, right? People who are persecuting Christians, The you know, Saul of Tarsus, uh, really bad people, persecutors. But that's not what's mentioned here. What we have here are people whose minds are moored to this earth and appetites. I love that that God is their belly. They just do whatever their appetites tell them to do.
1: And they glory in their shame. And we could spend mm-hmm. 20 minutes unpacking all of the way that's prevalent in our world today. And, and while it's not necessarily an unfruitful conversation, um, let's just suffice to agree, because you can look... Uh, across someone with whom you disagree and say they're glorying in their shame so let's just agree that is a valid point right okay um so these people are the enemies of the cross of christ now let's roll back up to what how paul started this discussion and i'm going to for the sake of discussion begin in verse 12 okay not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And his own there, speaking of resurrection of the dead. Okay. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, there's some, some interesting arguments that come out of this passage about when exactly we have obtained eternal life and so forth and so on. But
0: I've heard some of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Paul says, in, in really the goal of what he's talking about here, he, he's not trying to spark controversy about the resurrection. What he's wanting people to do is realize you're living a new kind of life because the the focus of the passage ahead or above this before this is quit worrying about stuff, lots of stuff, little stuff. It doesn't matter. Be a Christian with whatever stuff you've got. And he goes on to talk about being a new type of person. and, And that starts with his thinking, his thought process is now, how can I move towards God? And the upward call of God there, I think, is God calling us to be more like his son. To call upward in a metaphorical sense as we live every day.
3: So as we think about the overall context of Philippians, and we've, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I, I want to bring it back up because I believe it's important to what we're talking about here. As we settle into Philippians 3, 18 through 21, you guys have already pointed out that it's, it's not just talking about the people who we would think are the absolute worst in society, but rather it's people that are focused on earthly things. And as you move into Philippians 3 and verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. So he he points out the folly, the destruction that people were heading towards whenever they set their minds on things of earthly things. Then he says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I want to pull in context here is because I think sometimes people forget about the socio-political environment of Philippi. Okay,
0: yeah. I, I guess I'm not super familiar with that, Jeffrey. So, uh, yeah, even for just my benefit.
3: So within Philippi, because of the sociopolitical environment, you had two major groups of people. You had one group of people that were extremely loyal Romans because what happened um, throughout history and with, uh, I can't remember all the all the players involved but basically they transplanted a bunch of people to philippi that were loyal roman citizens and part of their job was to teach people in philippi how to be loyal roman citizens and then the other group of people were the people who had previously been freemen who would not have necessarily wanted to be associated as a true, loyal Roman citizen, because they valued the freedom freedom that they previously had. And so he's taking these two groups of people, and now you are converting them to Christianity. And you can see the obvious problem here. And then you throw some of the Jewish people in here, but it didn't have a very strong Jewish population. It was basically those two groups. But you bring those two groups of people and you say, you're family now. You were supposed to love one another now. But how difficult would it be for those two people who are so diametrically opposed in the socio climate to get along about these things? And so as we try to point out all the bad things, that lead people to destruction. I believe that one of the things that Paul is saying here is that if you get too bogged down with politics, because that term for our citizenship is in heaven, that term citizenship in the Greek word is actually the word we get our term politics from. It's polito polito pneuma or something along those lines. So he's saying if you were too bogged down with the sociopolitical climate you're too focused on earthly things and you need to recognize that because you came a christian your mind is supposed to be different your life is supposed to be different and don't get bogged down on those political aspects but rather focus on christ let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus be like him and you don't see jesus walking around challenging people on political aspects
1: So that opens the door, and I think I can hit this, and and maybe this sums up, and it would have been a better place to start, what our concern really is in the good news of God, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Galatians 2 and 20. Paul makes a declaration.
2: I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless
1: I live yet not I but the life let's see I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith and son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and so with the background of everything we've talked about with the understanding of having our mind remade in Christ this passage is a, a good starting place. I'm
2: dead. And
1: the life I live now is for, about, and driven by Jesus Christ. So I concern myself with what he concerned himself. My desires are what he desired. And This is not, and and this is something we've talked about before. Also, this is not a miraculous snap of the fingers. I no longer, you know, want anything I wanted before, but it's a thought process and a desire of I want to want what Jesus wanted. That's a lot of want there.
0: (laughs) Well, you definitely didn't leave us wanting, but that's right. I mean, I guess that's one of the things that is hard for me as a Christian Jared is that it is so easy to just get in the daily grind and you're going to work and you're doing the dishes and you're feeding the dog and you're coaching T-ball and making the mortgage payment and saying hi to the neighbors and going to church. And, you know, it's just the, the day, the day to day. And it's a mean it's distracting and it's easy to just, try to one either survive or two to try to do things excellently right to a high level and you can easily think back about your day and like have i had any have i had any serious thought about god today amid the emails and the voicemails and the conference calls and the peanut butter sandwiches and the everything
1: yeah and you know to put a finer point or maybe to work with the point jeffrey made with the context in philippi paul pushing these people to be remade in the mind and image of jesus christ Mm -hmm. to change their focus as we live busy lives and, and yes we are busy we we have the ability to pack a lot of stuff into a twenty-four hour period, and I think in a lot of ways we use that to justify the thought process of we're we're busier than people used to be. We're busier. Well, no, we can just do more in a day than they could right. because technology assists us in doing that. They were as busy, they just couldn't accomplish as much. Um, we want to farm out our. Responsibilities in a lot of areas. We want to make decisions concerning those who are going to govern us, based on what's going to make us the most comfortable or help us become the most comfortable. Yeah, however you want to look at that.
0: To Jeffrey's point, yeah.
1: To to make, we want to live in a society where we can just ask someone else to take care of the poor and not make us feel bad about it, instead of doing it ourselves. And in all of these things we're delegating out. And, and a lot of this stuff comes because we're having to answer emails. We're having to change diapers or feed kids or do these other things. And it's difficult to live with an intentionality that says, yes, I need to change this diaper, but hey, I need to go visit the widow down the road today too. And yes, this email is important because I want to do justice in in you know, fulfill my God given duty to be righteous about how I pertain to my work. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even there is a thought process of wanting to do it because it's what God wants from
3: me. Right. Well, but I think sometimes Jared, and I'm going to speak for myself here as someone who is very much caught up often in the daily corporate grind. In one part of my mind, I want to answer that email because I work as unto God and I want to bring glory to him and I want to show people the way that a Christian is supposed to work. But the other part of my mind wants to do it because I want to be successful and because I want to show people that I'm a hard worker. And so one part of my mind is focused a bit on God. The other one is very much focused on myself. And I think that that in and of itself is one of the struggles here that Paul is saying. And he says it over and over again. He says it in Colossians. He says it in Ephesians. He says it in Philippians. That our mind is supposed to be different. And our mind is supposed to be transformed through the power of the gospel because it is a situation where we become a new creature. But but that's still a process and it still is difficult because our minds like to trick ourselves <laughs> into saying I'm doing this for the right reason. Yep. When maybe in reality we aren't.
1: Well, and that brings us into some additional thought process. As we've talked about the gospel we have talked about how desperate our world is to be remade. It it just doesn't know it. You know, I'm, I'm have recently rewatched Saving Private Ryan, which I don't recommend because it's it's heart wrenching. Yeah. Um, you know, same thing with any shoot 'em up war movie, especially the ones that are backed by something real. It's heart-wrenching to see what mankind is capable of doing to each other. In the state of mind, you have to put yourself in to be able to do that. And I know that's not supposed to be the point of the movie, but, but that's it. And as we get into these echo chambers or get into our own mind and we're able to convince ourselves that we're, we're doing things a certain way for a certain reason that we know because we know the right reason. We know we want to work hard because we're working as unto the Lord. We know that we want to be good parents because we want our children to go to heaven. We know we want to be, I mean, whatever it is. But it's also possible to do those things looking for self-fulfillment.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah, I don't want to get fired. I want to have kids that don't embarrass me in public. I want to be seen as upholding my own reputation, right?
1: Yeah. And now I need to connect those two thoughts because I, I lost my train of thought for a second. But um, we we need to be remade and learn to rethink. And part of the way God has given us to do that is by removing everything that separates us. And I love the way Paul puts that is there's not Jew or Greek. There's not barbarian or Scythian. Scythian. There's all of these measurables that we have put in between ourselves, you know, saving private Ryan is the Americans and the Germans and what men were willing to do to each other because they were born in a different spot on a map. Yeah. And, and I grant there's a lot of ideological differences in those spots on the map, but, highest levels of, of abstraction, that's what it's about. And Christ has come in and said, none of this matters. Be one people in me and be a people in me. And so we build a community, which is you know part of what that conversation or uh, citizenship is you have a community of believers that will, have the ability to say, what's your motivation in that? Why are, you know, okay, I see or you're telling me that you answered an email at 1030 in the evening. What's your motivation? Why did you feel like it was important to do that at this time? And, you know, something we haven't necessarily talked about. That's one of the things we kind of are, are good at doing with each other, even though we're hundreds of miles apart um i've got a group of brothers here that i know when you look at us it's easy to go those guys are an echo chamber they, they all just think they're you know they think they're right collectively which is interesting because if you spent any time with us you would go how do they spend any time together all they do is argue <laughs> yeah because we we really want to push each other to be good men of god and. It's, it's too easy to uh, allow myself to be deceived because that's comfortable, and uh, I have good motives in this. I have good motives in this.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's easy to uh, for me to trick myself into doing the right thing um, and telling myself that I have the best motive when really it's actually more. It's, it's maybe not a complete lie, but it's a, it's a half-truth. Right. I think we have to be careful about that. I have to be careful about that.
1: Well, and and let's, it's funny, I don't know that we've used this passage in the podcast yet. So let's bring this in here as we're talking about the need of man to be remade and the difficulty we have doing it and part of the reason it needs to happen. Jeremiah 17 and nine says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it now is our heart default mode bad no but as we grow up as we get influenced by other people as we have the ability to look out in the world and go evil wicked people get ahead and they get whatever they want they get power they get wealth they get you name it it makes you ask the question then why am I trying so hard and it a little lie here isn't near as bad as what they're doing a little cheating here isn't near as bad as what they're doing and our heart deceives us because we can go well but did you really you know and so we have that concept in scripture that our heart above everything wants to deceive us
0: yeah, I mean, self-delusion is the hardest kind to overcome. And it's hard to know what's really in there because that even if we do kind of have, well, I am kind of doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do or I'm doing it because there'll be consequences to me if I if I don't. Even it's hard for us to understand where one starts and the other stops and but God knows Proverbs 20 and 27 says the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inner depths of his heart and God has the ability to look inside of our spirit and our truest self and he will search us out and I think that's a similar passage to you know Hebrews 4 12 how the word of God is alive and powerful and I had a discussion with a young man at at uh after worship on sunday about he's like you know why do you you read the bible one day and you learn something and then you come back another time and you read the same passage and you learn something new from it and i i propose that there are two reasons one because the more we learn the more we're able to learn but two and as i think we've mentioned in the podcast recently that the word of god interacts with you when you read it and it probes you it it finds your weaknesses. It will, if you are willing to expose yourself to the mind of God through his word, it will find you out. And it takes a lot of courage to approach it that way. And sometimes we're just too busy or or are too distracted or we're too comfortable to try to approach the word of God with that kind of humility and that intentionality.
2: Speaking for
1: myself. Yeah. And it is truly an amazing book and there's a well there's lots of youtube channels that are fighting god's word i'm not going to plug them but some of them are are fairly dishonest in their approach and they just out and out attack it and use some really bad history and some bad science to, to go after it but if you're well there's one that is an archaeological channel and he is a christian and so he's using it as an apologetics and then one of his videos is actually mind-blowing to me and and, and wonderful he's, he's got two that are just blow you away one is where they excavated the judgment seat where it is likely jesus stood before Pilate, which is amazing wow And then he has excavated or rather he had a a professor of his that helped excavate the tomb of King David in Jerusalem, man. And so you can take this book and go to the middle East and use it as a guide to know where to find these archeological sites. Um, They've, likely found the location of sodom and gomorrah that way interestingly enough and so it's useful there and and this guy says any true archaeologist that wants to know where to find things and really wants to find things will use the bible anyone that's out to disprove the bible will skew what it says and go out in the desert and go well we didn't find anything it is amazing as a psychology book if you really just look at the Bible from a standpoint of psychology and understanding human psyche, you can do that. But if you go to the book with the thought process of this book can show me the best way to be a human, then it will utterly change your life. And consider this. Most people listening to this podcast are likely people that want to have a positive impact on their homes, on their communities, and would like to leave a positive impact on the world. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine, strip away all quote-unquote religion, take away the Bible,
2: and just imagine a people that can be described as follows. compassionate kind
1: humble meek patient kind of people that will bear with other people the kind of people that are going to be forgiving of other people and have a lot of a lot of desire to be forgiving and restorative of relationships and people that you would describe as loving yeah if there were people in the world or someone in your life that you knew that was like that You would say, and indeed I have said it on a lot of occasions, the world needs more people like so-and-so because they model those attributes.
0: My dad always said the same thing about Howard Briggs from Stratford, Oklahoma.
1: And what we find is this is exactly what God has called us to. What are attributes we would say we need less of? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, not lying. Well, what we've just described is Colossians three, mm-hmm. in both places. In verse eight, he says, "But now you must put them all the way, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices." So Paul has said, you are someone new. And verse 5, he says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. There is a change in God's people. What is he, What he is explaining to the church in Colossae is you are not who you were before. You have put these things to death. Now you put away this old self, this old way of being human. And when we're just exceptionally honest with ourselves we see this that i've just described is how the world works if you have any correlation with the public if you're in any public sector service sector you see people use anger to get what they want or to get a discount or whatever their default setting is anger right away wrath malice slander is way too common If you're on any social media and you follow anybody that has any inkling of political idea, they're always trying to slander whoever the opponent is, and that's across the board. Obscene talk is just the norm anymore, just words, right? But we're called to put off the old self. Now we move down where Paul commands us then to put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and so on and so the things that we would call the best of humanity or things that should be modeled is what god has been telling us all along this is who i want you to be
3: what i want to point out jared that the way i'm glad you brought in colossians 3 um this is a chapter that i just really enjoy and it's just a very good chapter to dig into and so As we go to the very beginning of this chapter, verse one, I want you to pay attention to what it says. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This whole episode is about the remaking of humanity to be in the image of Christ. And everything that you said in the sense of of putting away the things that are earthly and those worldly attributes and putting on these ideal human, human characteristics that God has set in place. He says that if we've been raised with Christ, then that's what we should be seeking because we are supposed to be living as a resurrected being that's become a new creation. But I I want you to to think about what he says there in those first four verses. He doesn't just say to set your mind on things that are above uh, rather than things that are on the earth. But he says you've died and your life is in Christ. And so you put your mind where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, because your life is in Christ. And there's a a point of confidence here in verse four. Knowing that our life is in Christ and seeking that which is of above, we have this confidence that we will also one day appear with him in glory. We see that already not yet concept yet again being communicated here. And yeah, this right here is a communication point about the gospel and the effect that it's supposed to have on people's life. Yeah, I love that hidden that that phrase in verse 3, your life
0: is hidden with Christ in God. It's it's like it's the the idea there is it's not that it's it's invisible, hidden away, but it is safely preserved. It is My life ought to be sucked up into the life of Christ, as it were, committed or commended to him because when he appears, I get to appear with him. And it is we have to set our mind that way, Jeffrey, because it's just so easy to coast or to grind and not look up to that right hand of God.
1: And and it is a change in concept. And Jeffrey, I appreciate that you brought that back to what Paul is really talking about. Here's the gospel. He, he sets that tone in chapter two Mm -hmm. where you are free. You're, you're done away. The old man is done away. He drives that home in three and one, you have died. And what he's telling us is how to be that new person. And as we look at the world and it's desperation to be remade and it's desperation to find good. And a lot of times what we talk about with our political ideologies is trying to find utopia. And really we would settle often for, for just good. We, we stop being bad to each other. That's only ever going to be found in Christ. Yeah
3: Well, I want you to think about this and Jared, I'm going to pull on some things that you've you've said previously. you know uh, you pointed to first Corinthians 13 and the principles of love that's laid out there and part of that is is being able to forgive others um being able to to have relationships with people who, maybe previously those relationships weren't there or that they were torn apart because of different mistakes. But I want to come back to Ephesians chapter two. This is something that we, we've talked about in the past and and look at the way that he, he speaks about the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, I brought up the, the dichotomous relationship within the context of Philippi, within those true Loyal Romans versus the freemen, and how they would have been conflicted with one another. There's another relationship that's similar to that in the scriptures, and that's the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says in verse 11 of Ephesians 2 Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the earned circumcision by what is called the circumcision. So you Gentiles were slandered essentially by. The Jews. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He he reminds them of a time in their life where they had no hope because they had no relationship with God, because they were separated from Christ. They didn't have the promises to lean upon. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So these people who were afar off, who had no hope, because of the grace of God, now are in Christ. And by the blood of Christ, they have been made one. And so he's taking these two groups of people that have had years worth of hostility and hatred, and he's breaking that wall of perdition. And he's saying that you can become one. He says in verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing that hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near by the spirit. So what I love about this is that he's saying that the gospel is how you have peace with God. Jesus is how you have peace with God, but that is supposed to flow into your life to where it can overcome these different human relationships that have had hostility for years. And that peace flows between you and you can be brought near to one another. And so the reason you made me think about this is that we look in our society for this utopia. We look for this peace that is unattainable without Christ and without God and without the gospel.
1: And we see that time and again in Scripture because sin causes a separation. Sin separates us from God, but sin makes us separate from each other. It causes division. When Cain slew Abel, he had to get out of there and be separate and start a separate society. When mankind post-flood set their mind on themselves instead of their minds on God, God separated them and divided their speech. And they went and set societies up that focused on themselves. And we have been finding ways and reasons to divide ourselves ever since. And, and the reasons change quote unquote, there's some air quotes there, but it's always the same thing. We just want to be divided. We want to be better than somebody else. We want to be more important than somebody else. We want to be, you know, in what he's talking about here in chapter two, the Jews set themselves up because they had the hope and the promises of a Messiah. Look in the old Testament, the prophets when God was promising judgment upon Israel He always reminded them that it was through them the Messiah was going to come. And it seems like a small thing, but that was a big deal to them. And they really rested on that promise that God had promised to Abraham and himself that this was going to happen. There was nothing going to stop it. So through their persecution, through their trials, they had the Messiah and they really built themselves up on it and Paul is telling the Jews and the Gentiles, that is abolished now. You are one in Christ Jesus. The fulfillment of those promises has come to reunify humanity. And if we're in our right mind, and and I mean that as generously as I can say it, we're sick of the chaos. We want peace. And I don't just mean quiet, although we often settle for quiet and call it peace. We want peace. How often is it talked about, for those that are old enough to know, the Mayberry mentality, where you sit on your front porch, you leave your doors unlocked, you converse with your neighbors. That's peace. And, And granted, it was modeled in a TV show, but people lived in communities like that because they were communities that at least had an idea and a care about who God was. Now imagine living in a community where that's people's focus and drive, the attributes we talked about in being remade, which is funny. Paul hits that again in here in Ephesians, putting off the old things, putting on the new things in chapter four, and then he drives it to a solid point because we can ask the question all day long. Yeah, that's great, but how do you accomplish it? In chapter four, he says, Put away falsehood and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And these are all very practical things that you can do on a daily basis. And and while it's very practical, it is a change of focus. Yeah. Instead of me, me, mine, mine, I, 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 it's I need to be doing for other people. What does my neighbor need? What is beneficial for my neighbor? How can I give to those who are in need? I need to be honest here, even though it's going to hurt. Um, yes, this is something that's caused me anger, but I need to let it go and, and bring reconciliation and resolution to the to the problem. It's it's all just a step to the right or the left, whatever, to reevaluate the situation and go. I need to see this through Christ's eyes. Yeah,
3: and that's the thing, Jared is. You know, we look at the scriptural examples that are given, and we see that the wall of hostility has been broken down between Jew and Gentile. We see that it's been broken down between loyal Roman and Freeman.
2: The gospel has the power to break
3: down that hostility between Republican and Democrat, and between OSU Cowboy and OU Sooner.
1: And even libertarian, libertarians,
3: that one too. (laughs) It has the power to heal relationships between that person at work that has been mean and just difficult to deal with that you just want to write off. And I think that what we're trying to drive at here, and I think really Jared, what you're trying to drive at here is Imagine a situation where when somebody makes you mad at work, you can forbear because you love that person. Right. And if you can't forbear, then you go through this process process of reconciliation to seek peace with that person. And the remaking of this humanity should be the church where we don't avoid our brothers and sisters in the supermarket because we had an argument with them the week before. We don't use those types of avoidance techniques but we allow the peace of Christ to rule in our heart in a way that we pursue peace with our brothers and sisters and what the church really should be. It's not a social organization. It's not a a place that you gather around people that are like-minded politically with you or anything like that. It is very much the remaking of humanity here on earth, where you've got a group of people that are continually being transformed by the gospel and are so gospel centered that it's supposed to be different.
0: Yeah. I mean that's the, the bottom line in Ephesians chapter two verse twenty two you know we're we're the building fitted together. We grow into that holy temple being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. I mean that's that's a beautiful picture. And it's further evidence to the fact that we can't do it on our own. That God says you need a community in which to, to build the tower of this new life that we can use as a, as a jumping-off spot to build the scaffolding out into the world, to build that in other areas of our life. And it's, it would be much easier to live life as a servant of Jesus in a whole world where that was the world order. But it's we're not in that situation. We're in a world order that is diametrically opposed to the will of God, and so we're having to try. We're playing the game by different rules, and sometimes that means we look a little crazy or people don't understand. But we have to hope that because we're being obedient to Christ, it's okay because our life is hit with Christ and God.
3: Well, and, know, unfor- and unfortunately. You know, I mentioned that the church is supposed to be that that family, that remade humanity. But the things that we've talked about previously this evening in in terms of the, the political division, in terms of a lot of different things, it comes down to our minds are set on things of the earth and we're selfish. And we're coming back now to Colossians. Um, We're selfish. And Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one as he and the Father are one. We would be one in them. But it's because of our selfishness. It's because of our focus on all the other stuff that we have the division in the church that makes the church appear hypocritical. Because the expectation has been set, we are one. But guess what? Because we haven't been able to set our minds on things of the Spirit and on things that are above, we have divided and we've brought shame onto our Creator and our God.
1: Right, because what the world sees when the church is like that is... Very basically, you guys have all these rules for how you live your life, allegedly, but you're just like the rest of us. There's division, hatred, jealousy, covetousness amongst you, and so you're really no better off and maybe worse off than we are, as opposed to what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, in one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And what I think this passage, one of the things this passage demonstrates to us is it says they're one body. And I think that's talking about the collective body of the believers and one spirit. And one thing I have pulled from this passage that has spurred my desire to have unity in the church and unity with my brothers and sisters above not above everything else but with everything else is that unity happens in the spirit when people desire the spirit of god more than they desire everything else unity is a fruit of that the oneness that jesus desired for his disciples as he and the father has it have it comes from our desire to be led by the spirit of god to be people that have our minds changed to be remade to think about what is good for everyone else, because that was the mind of Jesus. We talked about it in our episode where we talked about his resurrection, and, and we've discussed it in several other places about how his mindset was not about what was good for his flesh. because if that was the case, he would have never put on flesh. because it's uncomfortable here. sin has had an immense effect on God's paradise. And he didn't know any of that and didn't have to experience any of that. But because of what was good for everyone else, he came and demonstrated to us what God wants from his people and how to be God's humanity. To be the signposts that point back to our God, to be the image bearers of Christ you know, one thing, the imagery you get with the idea of a temple is it's where people go to find gods in every religion. They all have a temple. And it was no different for Jehovah God. He had a temple in Jerusalem. It's where people would go to find God. In Jesus Christ, the collective believers are that temple. We should be the place where people go to find God. And he should be glaringly evident amongst us. And that's one of the points of 1 Corinthians 14. When we're behaving as God's people, the unbelievers are going to come in and confess his heart because God's among you of a truth. Because we behave ourselves in love for the good of someone else. If I could give a, a brief summary to chapters 12 and 13. You do what's good for everyone else because you love everyone else. And that is not what we see in the world. That is a different kind of humanity. That is a humanity remade in the image of the very son of God. And that is a tall order for sure.
0: And not a process that we're probably going to be done with until we're dead. Um, But I'm glad that I have brothers like you to help me along the path. And uh, I really appreciate you guys sharing some great perspective tonight. Um, probably ought to wrap up. We are really excited about kind of the culmination of some of these thoughts. You know, in episode 58, we are actually going to talk about a very important topic, a pivotal topic, probably the most important topic in the New Testament, which is the salvation of humanity through the operation of God in the power of the gospel. And so we really hope that you can catch us next time when we dig into the mechanics of that process and what it means to come to a saving, trusting faith in Jesus. So we are really looking forward to that episode next time. As we always do, we, Uh, We're going to close with a prayer tonight. Jeffrey,
2: take us home. Our Heavenly Father,
3: we come to you with hearts that we pray would be focused on you and your son. Lord, there's so many distractions. There's so many reasons to allow sin to divide us, to allow ourselves to be selfish. And to focus on those things that are earthly. Lord, we pray as your people that you will help us be transformed, transform us into a new creation that recognizes that our life is in you and therefore we live in you and for you. Lord, we pray that you'll help us take on the characteristics of Jesus, that just as he was merciful, that we will also be very willing to show mercy to others. Just as he was full of love and truth, we also will be full of love and truth and show that love and truth to others. Just as Jesus sought to deny himself and his flesh to fulfill the work of God and to
2: bring unity and salvation that we will deny
3: ourselves, look to the cross as motivation, and allow the peace that we get with God from Jesus to flow through our lives and change the way that we interact with others. Lord, we know that this is a difficult task for, for people who live on this earth, and we pray that you'll give us perspective and that you'll help us through the power of your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next week.